This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Hi, welcome to the Ward Scott Files. Today is Wednesday and uh, Tuesday, I guess. It's Tuesday. I apologize. I apologize. And um, I'm hearing you, uh, uh, my, my production guys. I don't see myself yet on the screen, but maybe I will in a moment. There we go. And uh, we're anticipating perhaps a linkage here with Kat Kamek in a moment. Uh, we'll anticipate that, hopefully. Meanwhile, I want to thank, of course, um, Melon Law for supporting us. And we're here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave inside the Melon Law Studio. Full legal service, uh, 50 years of experience, the only official law firm partner of the Florida Gators. And, of course, protected uh, 24-7, 365 by crime prevention. Patronize our sponsor, Style Cuts is the official style cut hair stylist, if you will, for the Ward Scott Files. And um, we uh, always like it when you go in and say, you know, Ward Scott sent you and they take a look at you and really um, like hearing that. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about, uh, while I'm waiting to see if we get a connection with Kamek. Um, I'm here. Oh, are you, darling? I don't see you. I, I, are you on the... <laughs> Audio or on your visual? <laughs> I, I see you. And oh, there I'm, you are. I was just uh, wondering where you were. I never <laughs> know whether you're on the road or uh, what you're doing. So I know you're busy. I got one. I got one thing to say though. Yeah. At black tie blue jean, why do you tell the story of the collision at home plate? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know. I know. It's funny. People have started playing that video. Um, as an introduction piece, and it's kind of funny because everywhere I go and travel, I, I hear uh, I'll be backstage and I'll hear the the song, you know, move get out of the way, and I'm like, oh no! And then you just hear the audience and like, ooh! <laughs> <laughs> I just knew you were going to tell that story because uh, it's one of the really funny good ones. I, I and plus it was a Democrat catcher, I think. And oh yeah. Gale, it fits so many of the of the check. So many of the boxes are checked with yes. that solution. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I've got uh, to ask you. How do you? I don't know, think you're right now. I'm looking at where you are. You're not in D.C. right now. Oh, I'm I'm in Florida. I'm all, I'm here in Gainesville. Okay, good. Well, up there in the deep jungle of <laughs> D.C. Yeah. Um, everything I'm looking at with these poles. Make me a little nervous, Kat. That's why I got to talk to you about this for a moment. Uh, yeah. NBC has put out a poll. Of course, I don't trust NBC, but um, nevertheless, they claim this to have been done with a thousand respondents. And it sort of matches what we know that we have a divided country. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't seem to matter what one group tells the other group about their champion of the cause. They don't care. They've already... You can't harm them. You know, you can't say anything bad about Biden. You know how what I'm talking about. 
Oh, yeah. Move the needle. And that's what yeah. concerns me a little bit that, you know, what's your opinion about where we are going to this? So important. I mean, short term in the election, do I think Republicans are going to take back the House? Absolutely. Um, you know, I've got 27 candidates, true conservatives around the country that we have endorsed, that we're helping get across the finish line, really helping mentor them. And I chat with them every day. I've been to several of their districts. So whether it's in Iowa or Texas or um, Illinois, Indiana, California, I go and talk to folks and, and it'll be in gas stations. It'll be at grocery stores, everyday folks, and they hate the current state of affairs. Everyone can agree that things right now are not good. But the thing that people don't agree on is how we got here. And like you said, you've got people on the left that Biden can do no wrong, even though I will say independents increasingly are getting concerned about his mental state. It, it's, it's embarrassing. You know, it's concerning. And you have to wonder, because clearly there is an issue here. You have to wonder about the family behind him. Are they so blinded by the quote-unquote power that they're willing to let their loved one continue on. I mean, this is this this would be abuse in any other situation. And so it's just a little concerning. I've talked to so many independents who are like, you know, I hate the, the fighting between the two sides, but I will tell you, I'm very concerned about Biden. He doesn't seem to have it all together. And I'll tell you from a military standpoint, this is very dangerous. When you have the so-called commander-in-chief um, falling asleep in interviews, taking cues from Easter bunnies, uh, you know, turning on the stage and shaking hands with people that aren't there, getting easily confused, that is a message that is being sent all around the world that America is weak and that the commander-in-chief has no idea what's going on on stage, let alone in the world. And so I, I'm very concerned about that. I know people certainly are. And I think at the end of the day, they want balance, which is why I believe that Republicans will take the House. The Senate, whole nother ball of wax. I'm, I'm still optimistic that we will take the Senate, but it won't be by large margins. I would be, I would be pleasantly surprised if we took it by two. Um, and I'm hoping that we do. We're working very hard to try to make sure we do. But, um, you know, I, I see more than anything, Americans are sick and tired of the constant bickering, the fighting, the, the hot take back and forth, you know? Well, there's been so much uh, dirty pool, if you will, in the Georgia race, which is one of the, of course, perhaps the most important race in the country. And everything that they said about voter suppression on the Democrat side has turned out to be exactly the opposite. There's more turnout now than there's ever been in these midterms. And hopefully you have to, well, you got your fingers crossed that that turnout is in favor of the Republican uh, view of America. Now, the Hispanics, do you have, I'm reading that the Hispanics are conservative. Uh, they're certainly, to a large extent, Catholic. Uh, they're family-oriented, uh, mm -hmm. and they go Republican. Are you hearing that? Or are you? Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you are going to see the largest amount of Hispanics across the country voting conservative. And I think it's because there has been a realization that their values align with the Republican Party. We're about faith. We're about family. We're about freedom, self-determination. You know, they, they really espouse everything that the platform that Republicans run on is about. You know, we're 
we're all about hard work. We're all about the the family issues. And so I really think that the Democrats, not only do they know that, but they're going to be absolutely stunned and scrambling when when election night comes around. They're going to see they have lost tremendously amongst their support within the Hispanic community. I'll give you a great example. On uh, Saturday, I was in McAllen, Texas, and I was out supporting Monica De La Cruz and Myra Flores, who, whom I'm her mentor. And there's also Cassie Garcia. The, these three Hispanic ladies are running on the Republican ticket in South Texas. South Texas, that valley along the border, has been blue, blue, blue. And they are now making inroads in the area, in the valley, turning it red. And it's because the Hispanic community is waking up saying, this isn't normal. And just to really drive the point home, um, you know, Jessica, of course, my my deputy chief, um, she was with me and we were stopping at the gas station right there in McAllen, Texas, and a high-speed chase broke out. And keep in mind, this is a suburban type area there was a target and a dick sporting goods and an academy sports and like you know like a shopping center and we're at this gas station and a high-speed chase breaks out nine border patrol agent cars are chasing this vehicle that was loaded down with people they're running away they're circling through the target parking lot the local law enforcement McAllen mm-hmm. pd is in the in the chase as well people like this is an everyday occurrence and we're standing there watching with amazement thinking holy smokes, these people are smuggling drugs, they, they're criminals, like, and this is an everyday thing in McAllen, Texas. But the thing that's, I think, hitting home more and more every day is that this is now happening in communities all around America. Every town in America is a border town. And nobody wants the drugs, nobody wants the crime. And they're seeing with open border policies, they're not humane. They're the most inhumane policies that we have. And so I I think you are going to see more Hispanics being elected to Congress. You've got Yesley Vega in, in Virginia. Um, you have the, the three ladies in, um, in South Texas. You've got uh, Catalina Lauf in Illinois. You've got so many amazing conservative women that are stepping up. The Hispanic community is going to be quickly shifting to the Republican ticket. And I project that you're going to see, as a result, the Democrats go even further to the left to try to make up losses by picking up more radicals in different pockets around the country. Boy, I tell you, you know, I'm amused by this um, feigning by the local. I don't want to digress here, but this is your area. (laughs) Um, The University of Florida Faculties Union, Uh, don't get me started, um, has has expressed a, a dismay over the politicalization of the choice when they're using politics as a as a as a as what they're disappointed about that it's not their politics. You know, I'm pretty familiar with that having been the president of the Senate at the college when I was there for four years. And very <laughs> small percentage of the UF faculty belongs to the union. Yep. And yet the media puts them out there as if they speak for the faculty. Yep. What are we going to do about the media? I tell you, we have been censored by YouTube. I don't know if you know that. YouTube, yeah, YouTube kicked us off for not living up to their community standards. Well, their community standards are to say anything about election integrity. And so I've started saying election beep and I beep myself instead of using the dreaded F word because the algorithms picked this up. So we've been booted off. 
And we've gone to rumble.com, which is wide open, and bless them for now we host with them. Tech censorship. Is Congress going to get a hold of this doggone thing? Yes, yes. And I can't tell you how excited I am. We are going to be taking on big tech. And this is not just Section 230 reform. This is going to go beyond that. Because what we've seen is really... it's not just censorship of, of conservatives. It is an absolute assault on truth and fact. I, I point to the fact that you can go on Google and type in, can a man get pregnant? And Google will respond, yes, man, men can get pregnant. And then the next month you go in there and you say, you type in, can men get pregnant? And then they say, yes, and, and then they elaborate even further. Every month, the so-called truth evolves. And I want to know, when did big tech become the arbiters of truth? They changed the definitions that have longstanding general consensus amongst the scientific community. I mean, you could go through and pick any definition you want from a woman to, you know, uh, all of it. But the thing that gets me is that big tech in their quest for total domination, not only has censored conservatives, changed definitions, become the arbiter of truth, um, decided what you should and should not see, um, but then they have engaged in illicit activity like human trafficking. I flag probably on a daily basis, flag uh, posts and pages on Facebook that are promoting human trafficking. And when Facebook actually, because we sent a letter, we started calling them out publicly for it, they showed up in our office and were saying, oh, no, Congressman, you don't understand. We're, we're supporting human rights. And I said, clearly, these are pages and posts that the cartels are posting and paying you for saying that if you pay $9,300, they'll get you, they'll smuggle you across the border, which is illegal. So you're, fa- you're fa- facilitating an illegal activity. And then you're going to drive them into San Antonio and other places. This is human trafficking. They said, oh, no, this is, this is human rights. This is people who are escaping oppression. This is how they rationalize things in their mind. So it's that, it's the data, the privacy. I've talked to so many people, especially my age, that say, oh, I have nothing to hide. Like, it doesn't matter if you have nothing to hide. They don't own your privacy or your data. You do. And you need to give consent for them to sell it, to use it. And I just think that there's a whole host of big tech issues that we're going to go after that people aren't even aware of yet. And that is going to be front page news going into next year. It is going to be an amazing year next year as we hold them accountable. We got a question coming in from a good fan here who is, uh, just to give you a history on him, uh, airborne combat medic in Vietnam and lives in Atlanta and Mm. uh, in the eye of the storm. And um, talking about big tech, look what big tech did with Coca-Cola with uh, all the things that they pull out of Atlanta because of the woke. So we're going to have to have a little discussion and somehow rein in the woke thing. Yeah. Got a question here, if the Republicans do win the House, mm-hmm. there's been a lot of discussion about who would be an effective speaker. Have you got any um, inside track or opinion? Or I'm sure there's a lot of brouhaha about that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I'll tell you that the only person running right now for speaker is Kevin McCarthy. Um, but the thing that I continue to come back to is, is that we've got at this point, 14 days till election day, and there's a lot of jockeying for positions and talk about it. This is all a, a, a moot point if we don't win the house. 
You know, yeah. I, I, I have talked to so many people and I'm like, yeah. but we don't know who's going to be speaker and who's going to be whip and who's going to do this. And I'm like, listen, we'll get there when we get there. But if we don't win the house, if we don't stay focused, we are in big trouble and shame on us for not seeing this all the way through to the end. And one thing that I have heard from several of the candidates that, that we're working with across the country, their base, particularly their Republican base, they feel like, oh, it's in the bag. We don't really need to show up. We don't need to go knock doors. We don't need to make phone calls. There seems to be an undercurrent of, I, I want to say, complacency that people feel like it's been so bad that how could people ever possibly vote any other way? And I'll tell you, the Democrats are coming hard. We have to get all the way through to the, to the finish line. And I mean, with scratches and scrapes and dusted up and the whole nine yards, we can't just mosey over the finish line. If we, if we do not have a resounding supermajority, it's going to be for not. And remember this, if we take the House and not the Senate, typically the House in that position will acquiesce to the Senate, which would be Democrat run, which means we won't be able to stop anything. So I, I'm very concerned about us putting the cart before the horse with all these leadership discussions. Like I said before, you know, Kevin McCarthy's the only one running for speaker. There's three people running for whip. Um, there's a couple of other leadership races that people are running for and docking for. But right now I'm focused wholeheartedly on getting across the finish line and making sure that we have Republicans in the majority. Well, I'm with you on that because what I see when I uh, look out through my lens, often being having been a uh, professor and all that business is a, a conservative one, by the way, which meant I was um, all about text and not about interpreting the text with some sort of ideology would creep into it. Um, God bless you. Know, <laughs> corrupting the text is not my gig, but uh, <laughs> we really need civics somewhere along the line because the Democrats will tell you, and they believe it, that democracy is in jeopardy. Now, they base this on such things as a misunderstanding of the Constitution. Mm -hmm. All this talk about, oh, abortion, abortion, abortion. Nobody banned abortion. We just put it where it was supposed to be, in the states. Nobody banned it. Mm -hmm. It's not supposed to be in the Constitution. It's not a constitutional right. But yet, this has been corrupted, of course, but allowed to creep into conversations. Even last night, the... an inordinate amount of time that was spent between DeSantis and, and Chris talking about it was a waste of time. I mean, is this a central issue to the survival of this country? I mean, the issue of life, I believe, is because it's the one thing that's guaranteed. Life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, not the right uh, to kill your unborn child. Right. But when you talk to people anywhere, at the gas station, at Publix, no matter where you are, no one's talking about abortion. No one has come up to me and said, oh, my goodness, no. this top issue, not a single person. I hear about folks saying I'm on a fixed income. I'm scared that inflation is going to make it so that I can't afford to pay my heating bill this winter. Uh, you know, it's the, the border. It's the national security issues. It's the fact that we're funding a war completely on the other side of the country with no regard for the issues that we have here at home. It's the fact that we've got people left behind in Afghanistan, a crime wave that is gripping the country, fentanyl poisoning people to the point where it is the number one killer of folks between the age of 18 and 45. It ain't climate change and it ain't COVID. So at some point, the Democrats have to acknowledge that fentanyl is, in fact, a problem. And the thing that really gets me is that all the major issues from 
the crime from the gas prices, the open border policies, um, the, uh, the mandates that are wholly unconstitutional coming from little bureaucrats in swamps all over Washington, D.C., little basement dwellers. None of this is being addressed. All that the left wants to talk about is abortion and gun control and, and, and Trump and January 6th. I have not heard anyone bring any of those issues up once to me. And I talk to Democrats, independents, Republicans. It is the political agenda of the left of dependency and control that they're trying to push. And they're going to do it by any means necessary. I think this election will be a wake up call for them, assuming that we make sure that we're focused all the way through for the next two weeks. Along with our representative to the U.S. Congress, Kat Kamek, and I'm looking at the chat line and we all have a question. I'll put it in here, Kat. I'm getting word that there's 838,000 early voters in Georgia so far. So mm-hmm. I think we're going to have to look at that very closely. And uh, that's a key race, of course. And of course. Be a lot of um, it's ironic. You know, Abrams uses the same argument uh, for her election that they won't let Trump use. <laughs> I know. Isn't it something? Isn't it something? <laughs> you know, it's 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 uh... Politics today has gotten so ridiculous. Um, you know, it used to be that, you know, you lost, you conceded, you did the whole thing. Um, and then, of course, January 6th rolls around. And now anyone who has any sort of question whatsoever, a rational question about cheating or issues uh, with election integrity, and oh my goodness, it, you're an insurrectionist, you are an election denier. But only if you're a Republican, if you are... <laughs> And you objected to the election of 2016. You're a patriot. Nancy Pelosi, who objected to the election and all the Democrats who objected to more than nine states in 2016 and stood on the up at there and said that this was an illegitimate president, that the election was rigged. Oh, my goodness. Well, it's okay when the Democrats do it. But when we ask questions. That's ridiculous. And that's what's wrong. In America, we should be able to ask questions. We should be able to question authority. We should be able to make sure that everything is done with the utmost care and with integrity in mind. People need to go into the ballot box knowing that their vote is being counted as it's intended to be cast. And we should be working collectively through the constitutional venues that we have, avenues that we have, to ensure that the states, the states being the key, are the ones that can determine the time, place, and manner in which elections are conducted. And that it should be easy to vote and hard to cheat. To me, that seems kind of common sense. But again, the politics of, of it all, the Democrats, it's only the Republicans' fault on all fronts. They, they never are accountable for anything, even when they do the exact same thing. You know, you mentioned the 2016 by Pelosi. They've mm-hmm. never quit denying, if you think about it. No. They have, that's what everything since has been an attempt to do, is to correct what they think was illegal or illegitimate. Mm-hmm. A couple impeachment uh, deals that, you know, was with a stacked deck. Now this thing with a stacked deck. Uh, the, well, I know some guys are pretty, pretty high up, as you do, of course, too, in the federal legal world who say that what our own DOJ did at Mar-a-Lago was out of bounds. No yeah. question about it. So let's talk a moment about a question that's come in, the corruption of our institutions. Yeah. The Department of Justice, uh, yeah. the attempt to do away with the Electoral College, the 
ignoring the Constitution. Mm -hmm. There's so many real battlefronts here mm -hmm. that um, hopefully you're helping us fight because um, it's, it's going to be tough to, to change this because the press is against us. Oh, of course. I mean, and, and think about this. I mean, when Republicans take the House, there's there's an agenda that we have. You know, get the economy back on track, lower the gas prices, secure the border, get the crime in the country under control, really focus on constitutional rights, um, put parents back in control in the driver's seat. But I think the, one of the most important ones is hold Washington accountable. And why is that important? Well, pick your ABC agency, the 87,000 IRS agents, for example, that are going to come after and audit you, which, by the way, first bill that we will pass on the House floor is defunding and firing 87,000 IRS agents. But you talk about the corruption of institutions like the DOJ and the FBI. You know, this is where I think some some folks have gotten really overzealous in in the rhetoric. Right. And and I think that your platform ward is great because we can actually talk about this where it's not a, a seven second sound bite. I can't tell you how concerning it is to have colleagues that are saying, oh, we need to, you know, absolutely get rid of federal law enforcement and this and the FBI. And blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I would say that the leadership of the FBI needs to leave. We need to hold them accountable. The leadership of the DOJ needs to be wiped out and cleaned out. That is where the corruption exists. In the political appointees that run these agencies, that's what needs to be gone after. Because there's a lot of people that are within these agencies that they're just there to serve their country. They're rank and file folks. And I don't think that defunding law enforcement is ever the answer at the local level or elsewhere. But when you start talking about holding people accountable, start at the top. Why in the hell was it ever considered okay to classify parents going to PTA meetings as domestic terrorists? That's absurd. That's an impeachable offense, in my opinion. And much in the same way that we are going to go after Alejandro Mayorkas and impeach him, we are going to be going after Merrick Garland. And he will be held accountable. That is in a political appointment, and he is going to account for everything that he has directed, overseen, covered up. That is where it needs to start. And with with the FBI, same thing. The leadership at the top that is corrupt, it needs to be dealt with. They need to be held accountable, and there have to be consequences. But I, I'm getting concerned because I'm starting to see so many people say, you know what, I'm just the whole thing is just bunk. We need to we need to do away with that. You know, my husband serves as a first responder. He's a SWAT medic. There, there are joint task forces that, you know, sometimes they work with, um, even here in our own backyard ward. And the people that are boots on the ground, your local guys that work with these agencies, these are people. Um, sorry, <laughs> I was getting a call come in. Um, these are, these are good people, um, the local guys. And, you know, they're, they're part of our community. I think the whole notion of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, it's, it's a short-sighted one. So much to the point about people are sick and tired of, you know, the crazy hyper aggressive on both sides. I think we need to enter an era and a time where there's a little bit more thought put into politics, a little bit more of a strategy, a little bit more of a America first rather than a 
I'm a Republican and you're a Democrat and I'm good and you're bad. We need to put America first before party. And that is where I think the next generation of politics is going to go. Are you pro-America or are you anti-America? That's where I think we're headed. And it's going to require people who are tough, who are fighters, and who are thoughtful. I don't think our country survives. I, I, yeah, I, I interview a lot, a lot of people, as you know, over the years. Geez, I've been doing this since 2012. Uh, when I think back of all the people with whom I've spoken, um, it, it really is um, changed quite dramatically with Obama. Mm-hmm. When Obama came in and started this narrative, which became the official narrative that America was born in sin and it had to have a cleansing of its past. And we never heard anything about critical race theory until that. We never heard anything about wokeness until that. Uh, it, you know, I've talked to a lot of people who come to this point as the tipping point in where this started. And there are a lot of people who feel that still Obama is the puppet master behind Biden. And even openly, he's come out, Obama, disappointed in Biden lately, saying he's screwing up everything I'm telling him to do. Have you noticed this? I mean, he said he, said, he can't even do what I tell him to do. He's screwing up stuff. Yeah. <laughs> hey, funny, because he, he warned us about that. He said, leave it to Joe Biden. He always yeah. finds a way to mess it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's where I think that it started. Uh, mm-hmm. I think probably before you were involved in politics, even. Um, it just crept into the narrative. And then it became somehow the mystery is how it became the official narrative. Because this is what YouTube kicked this off for, for not having supported the official narrative, which they cloak in a term community standards. Of course. You, you see, what, how, where they come from is that if you question it, you're a rabble rouser. And therefore, mm-hmm. exactly what we're trying to talk about, they claim they're talking about. But they want to do it with a controlled uh, debate. They don't want it to be an open debate. You follow? And this is all through the university system. I'm tremendously interested in how they've reacted to this presidential choice for UF. I mean, I mean, that's it's childish. I mean, the man has got to get funds for UF primarily among all the competitive institutions vying for money from the state. And they got a lot more legislative influence, as you know. You guys are just a couple, um, and uh, you know Chuck and, and Keith are just a couple. You take South Florida, my golly, they're outnumbering the legislative influence here for Florida by I don't know eight to one or so. So yeah, that never enters the media. Never puts that in the narrative. Of course not. Of course not. And and that whole thing that we have to take on, we've got to be aggressive. We've got to be out there as as warriors for the truth. And and the thing that people have to realize is you're not always going to like it. You're not always going to like the truth. Um, but I think that's why I go back to, I'm an American first, right? And we have to put America first. We have to stop apologizing for our exceptionalism because I do think that we are exceptional. And Ben Sass, you know, love him, hate him, whatever. The man is a United States Senator. He's pretty much battle tested. A few protesters at the university, I don't think are going to scare him. <laughs> um, <laughs> And you want to talk about tolerance, you know, the man hasn't even, you know, right. His official duties up and they're already saying, oh, vote of no confidence. Democracy <laughs> and double standard of the left never surprises me anymore. But Ward, I got to I got to jump off. I got to run. My next my next interview is beeping me multiple times. And I appreciate the opportunity to be with you this morning.
Well, I appreciate the fact that you know we give you a lot of time, and it's hard to find that. Uh, and this link goes out to about 37 different out- outlets, so a lot of people hear this. So thanks for stopping by, and thanks for taking time out from your busy schedule. And uh, stay in touch with us, and uh, next time you get a chance to tell the story about collision at home plate, go ahead. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Thank you okay. so hey, we're going to take a break now on the Ward Scott Files and talk about the weather when we get back. Thanks, Kate Gamick, for coming on the air with us. And we're right back on the Ward Scott Files. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Word Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. Welcome back to War Scott Files. We want to thank Lewis Oil for giving us the opportunity to give you the weather and for supporting this show. Um, 62 years, I think. Well, they went back to 19, early 60s when they started. Um, the weather here in this time of year in the piney woods of north central Florida is delightful. We get a couple of months in the fall and we get a couple of months in the spring, which are really ideal. And we've got it 80, mid 80s high today, um, high 60s at night. And uh, you can go outside and, and not break into a sweat and uh, things are pretty comfortable and nice. And we are, um, always enjoying basically 
October and November and March and April and a little bit of May along in there. Those are our great months around here. But people wonder about hurricanes here. And we're not really out of the hurricane season. Uh, I want to read to you a little bit now about my research on when the last hurricane storm typically forms. And of the typical last hurricane of the season, tip officially, runs through the end of November. So we've still got uh, the whole month of November when you could form a hurricane. Um, the, uh, typically, though, the last storm, if it's going to happen, occurs before November 30th. So uh, we don't see one there now, but this uh, season officially runs from June through November, and that takes into account about 97% of the Atlantic storms. This is, of course, uh, due to the uh, uh, Hurricane Research Division. So um, the, the, the activity drops off sharply from mid-September, which is the peak, into November. And this is because the ocean water is remaining quite warm, but the wind shears now can tear apart these storms. Uh, tropical waves, they move off of Western Africa into the Atlantic. They serve as the seeds for these storms. Uh, those tropical waves become less numerous as uh, we get toward November. At mid-October, we can expect maybe another two storms to form before the end of the season. That's according to the data from the National Hurricane Center. Uh, the season's last storm, though, quite often forms well before November 30th. Uh, so this data is taking into account 56 years of uh, the satellite era. So um, we have got a lot of data now, and we've got a pretty good handle on when these storms develop and when they wane. So um, usually we don't get to the last of the alphabet. Uh, Wanda became last season's last storm on October 30th and lasted a little over a week. In the four hurricane seasons, the final storm formed in separate, uh, September, um, uh, most recently in the, uh, 2006. So um, in six hurricane seasons, the final storm formed in December. And um, th that's not the rule, though. So this is all due to the periodic warming and cooling of water in the equatorial central uh, world. And uh, the Pacific can also influence these weather storms and head uh, over to that coast and have an impact. Uh, other things are La Nina. It tends to be more favorable for hurricanes in the Atlantic. Uh, so we have always. Now, let me ask you a simple question. Do you believe there's any human legislation that can affect climate change? Vis-a-vis -vis hurricanes? Someone has a cartoon they sent me that says, why does the Democrat Party think it can influence the weather when it can't influence the gas prices? Well, there you go. Just exactly the kind of thing we're just talking about with Representative Cat Canick. Uh, the rhetoric and what's on people's minds is, is really rather strange. You know, what is central to your well-being? Uh, it is certainly corrupted by many factors that, when you think about it rather objectively and clearly, don't really have any political structure to them.
yet they have found their way into the political structure. So there we are, and there we have been for quite some time. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about Hurricanes Lewis Oil. Well, I want to have a conversation a little bit about what I watched last night uh, with the debate, which I found, um, as many of you did, perhaps who watched the debate between DeSantis and Chris um, that took place from 7 to 8 o'clock last night and Fort Pierce. And um, I got to say, one of the most interesting things to me was how Chris kept forecasting that DeSantis was going to run for president. And therefore, really, if you think about it, suggesting that he's an incredible gubernatorial candidate, so much so that he can run the country. And his, I, I found that so interesting. Here Chris is saying, you ask him if he's going to run for president. And by bringing that point up again and again, Chris is saying, this man is presidential caliber. And the only point that Chris was making was therefore vote for me because I'll be around the whole time, but DeSantis will take off. And DeSantis' best reply was, the only thing I'm trying to do is put this old donkey out to pasture. That was the most memorable line of the entire debate. Those lines are priceless. They're absolute. I think it came off the top of DeSantis's head. I, I, somebody, some advisor may have scratched it out on a notepad and said, if you get a chance to use it, use it. But I don't think so. I think that came out um, really about just the truth. I'm not trying to run for president, although you're trying to suggest I'd make a good one, at least good enough to run. I'm just trying to put you out to pasture once and for all, because Chris has got, and the other line that was interesting, is I, and I believe it, and I should have asked Kat Kamek, I don't remember Chris ever doing anything in Congress. And DeSantis said the guy hadn't been there very much, and I doubt he has. He's a professional politician in the worst kinds of definitions. When he's for something, when everybody's for something, he's for it. When everybody's against it, he's against it. Um, he, he'll change parties. He'll change things he runs for. He'll do whatever he needs to do to keep Charlie Crist involved. That becomes pretty obvious. And he's all the Democrats have got in the cupboard. The cupboard is bare. And Gillum left it bare. Gillum sucked all the energy out of the Democrat Party in the state of Florida because people realized what they would have had had they had that guy as their governor. So that person's name never came up. Neither person would mention that guy. Although I think, if I remember, DeSantis did say it was a very close election. But from everything we can tell, in spite, despite the fact that 
there are people who simply vote on the basis of misinformation, misunderstanding, uh, prejudices and biases, and don't ever really, they really shouldn't be voting, if you want to think about it. I, I really believe there should be an examination before you get the license. Um, you know, you have to go through training, do you not, to get a concealed weapons permit. I think you should have to go through training to get a right to vote. And not racial, not, you know, not sexual, not age, just do you know what you're doing? You certainly have to do that to become a citizen the proper way. To become a citizen the proper way requires enormous understanding of this country. But we don't have any training like that for our quote-unquote natural citizens. The, they don't know anything about what is, 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 is what they're responsible for as citizens. They just are born and therefore away they go. And they are, of course, making a fog in a mirror. Therefore, they vote. But we really need, do we not, some sort of qualification to have a license. If you're going to have a driver's license, you have to demonstrate that you have the skills that you get, that you, you get one. As I say, if you're going to have a fishing license, if you're going to have, you know, you've got to be aware of the, of the maritime regulations. Every profession I can think of has a license. Why don't we have some training so that we don't have a bunch of people going around participating in something they know nothing about? Take the local level on the single member district stuff. People don't know what a district is. They call me practically every day. And these are intelligent members of the community. They don't know what the heck they're doing. I'm serious. So I have to take time out and explain to them, and they're grown people who've been making a living and sitting on boards and contributing and this and that. They don't know what they're doing. But I don't think we'll ever get it. By the way, just because I think it would be the right thing to do doesn't mean it will get done. But you would have a lot of this mess at least addressed. There's nothing in the Constitution that guarantees a right to abortion. There's a constitutional right to life. And then you can go back and debate where life is. So really, the Constitution protects the unborn more than it does the carrier of the unborn. How did that all get corrupted in the minds of people? I'll assure you, nobody sat them down and had a sober moment of instruction. It's been inflamed with passion and disinformation and misunderstanding and bias and hatred and you name it. It's all in there, mixed into the conversation. It's a very frustrating thing to sit here and watch the country, which paradoxically gives all these people these freedoms, but they don't have any responsibility on their end to have them. And people think free means doing whatever you want to do. No, freedom means 
you understand your options. Now, I always use the analogy of the automobile. You are free in an automobile to go straight, to back up, turn, turn left, turn right. Why are you free to do that? Because the automobile has structure and you interact with that structure so that when you apply your foot to the brake, the brakes expand and slow the car. If that structure fails, then your options fail. Now, do you need to know the intricacies of the structure? No, not necessarily, but you need to respect the structure. You need to understand that when the tire is flat, you should pull over and change it. Or have it changed. Don't drive on the rim. All those things can be sort of analogous to what you need to know about the government. You need to know the structure of the government. I'll assure you that these people I interact with locally don't know the structure of their local government. They don't know the difference quite often, I'm telling you now, between a county commissioner and a city commissioner. And they're not voting. And have been doing so for years. So where are we going to get an education component to being a citizen? For the citizen who gets it without doing anything to get it. There ought to be some obligation, shouldn't there, in order to get it on your part to Understand what it is you've been given. One of the fundamental issues that will never be addressed by the political system, it will be continually corrupted by the education system. DeSantis is trying to get us back on track. Let's get back to what education is about. But we don't teach statesmanship. We don't teach citizenship. We don't do it. We don't have any diplomacy, negotiation techniques. It's just a scramble. It's a free-for-all. And the terrible thing about it is, if somebody without qualifications can participate in the system and be actually as much counted as somebody with qualifications. So there's no parity. It's a real big experiment, isn't it? This democracy is a real big experiment. It's based along a bunch of assumptions that are more mysterious than they are logical. The assumption that the common man instinctively knows what is right and wrong is a pretty big assumption. You can go back to Locke and Hobbes are we basically kind of evil until we're checkmated by a strong compulsory hand? 
or are we basically good and therefore we don't need a strong compulsory hand? It's one of the early things one debates with himself or herself when they study Locke and Hobbes. So I'll assure you that there are people right now listening to my voice who don't know a thing about Locke and Hobbes. So I understand that. I know that. I know what I know what we're up against. So we have an odd kind of situation that we're dealing with uh, in our country, and we'll kind of have another a litmus test for it uh, coming up soon. Um, but you know, you take a look at Georgia. Um, Biden told, and this is according to Kimberly Strassel. Uh, this is out way back when, in, earlier in October, uh, Biden told voters in Atlanta in January that Georgia's election rules suppress the vote and subvert elections. That's the president of the United States knows darn good and well that's a lie. If, if not a lie, another reckless speech. And who behaved in accordance with this reckless speech. Major League Baseball stripped Georgia of the All-Star game. The CEOs of Atlanta, Delta Airlines, and Coca-Cola declared moral condemnations. The media is all crazy in there. Um, Okay. But it's all been a lie. Look at the votes that are cast. It's not voter suppression. If anything, there's been more votes cast in that race that we're watching than ever before. A sharp increase over early voting in 2018. Huge sharp increase. So the political reality is... seen through foggy glasses that need to be cleaned up. But when your president deliberately fogs up the glasses, then you're in really big trouble. The president should be the statesman of the country. His word should be really pretty much the guiding light. Now, I don't know if we've had moral decay uh, with us forever, or it just seems like there's more of it now than ever. Um, it's your choice, I suppose, as a citizen. Morals come from the word mores, which mean customs. What is the custom of the country? What is the characteristic of the country? Well, one group would tell you that it is to tolerate opinions different from our own. But yet, increasingly, that has become out of fashion. And the opinions different from your own have been labeled treasonable or treacherous or 
terroristic. So part of what we do here on the Ward Scott Files is to remind you that these choices are yours as a listener, as a participant in our culture. But I don't know where we're going to go for the civics training. I just, I just don't know where we're going to go for the civics training. It needs to be a central part of if we are the country, we are the shining city on the hill. And it needs to be done openly and objectively and fairly. And not to correct some statement that you now see like 1619 and uh, throw the Constitution out. and No, no, no. Put this stuff into context. Get this stuff um, so that you can understand what you're doing and what you're defending when you go to the polls. There's a lot riding on it coming up. In summation of the January uh, uh, 6th thing, uh, you know how that goes. You can see the people on the committee. You know the deck was stacked. Um, It's not about Trump. It's about stacking the deck. That's what is really troublesome. Uh, Last night, of course, um, uh, I've already talked about that, and I thought it was interesting that Chris was already to make uh, DeSantis at least uh, eligible to run for president. Isn't that strange? A Democrat saying that about a Republican? Wow, I thought that was kind of interesting. Well, have a good day. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow with our good friend, Ted Yoho. Warthog Command Center out.